You know, the ultimate story of the Bible is one of divine reversal, especially as you look at the end of the story when God reverses the curse and there's new heavens and a new earth. Look at the cross. God used the horror of the cross for our ultimate good, and he uses many things in our life that look to be evil. He uses them. He turns them around for good. More on that today as we dive into Esther 9 on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. If you think about the world that we live in today, and you think about this story, and you say, well, is this just a story? No, it's not just a story. Uh, it's historical, and it's been repeated many times. We've had a holocaust uh, within the last century directed at the Jewish people, but not just the Jewish people. Many others died. I think 20 million people died in the holocaust. Six million of them were Jewish people. Uh, I've been to Israel twice, and both times we've gone to the Holocaust Museum, and uh, it is one of the most staggering uh, places that I've ever been to. In fact, when you go through the Holocaust Museum and you see the artifacts and the shoes of the little kids that perish and the pictures and the brutality, you're, you're numb. And people have, you know, there's been ethnic cleansing and uh, so-called in Rwanda and the Balkans and other places like that. And man just has it in his heart somehow to carry hate out to such incredible, sad places. But God is in the reversal of fortune business, and reversals are the stuff of great stories. Some of you can think of maybe your favorite stories or your favorite movie, and uh, those are stories of reversals when all odds seem to be stacked against the hero or the heroine, and all of a sudden, something happens. Uh, another force out of nowhere shows up. Another army comes to help them. And you think, man, it's all, it's all over. The Lord of the Rings stories are great for this. The, those armies are so intimidating. How can anybody win? How could anybody survive times like these? And then, you know, it just seems like out of the jaws of defeat, victory comes. It's the stuff of great stories. But the evil day has come. And we have to do everything to stand in that evil day. So notice, this is the, the opening verse says, their enemies, it's the enemies of the Jews or God's people, wanted mastery over them, but God turned it around, and God is, his hand is in this book, though he's not mentioned, and he turned it around, and they gained mastery over their enemies. I want to give you an application as a believer. Uh, Cain was told in Genesis 4-7, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must what? You must master it. You must master it. Sin is crouching at the door. Now, how many of you have those little peepholes in your door? And, and now they've advanced them to where now you have that ring thing and you can see if some you know, hooded figure comes up to your door and wants to steal your stuff, and you go, go, hey, what are you doing there? Oh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> right? And they probably, you know, try to duck. 
Well, sin is pictured as ducking at your door. It doesn't want you to see it through the people, right? And, it, and it's looking, since sin is crouching at your door, what's sin looking for? You to open your door. If you don't open the door, sin won't come in. But if you open the door, if you give sin a crack, it will force its way in. And ironically, do you know that the sin that was crouching at the door was Cain's own anger? It wasn't some monster. It was the monster within. It was his flesh. It was his jealousy of his brother. You see, the sin that we have to keep out is often the sin from within. And the way we keep it out is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? The way we keep it out is dying, crucifying the flesh, and putting on the things of God. You see, sin and Satan wants to gain mastery over you. You must battle. You must do everything to stand in that evil day. There's a crouching beast at the door, but if we resist him firm in our faith, the enemy will flee from you. That's a promise that you have. James 4, I think it's verse 7. If you resist him firm in your faith, he will flee from you. But the enemy, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You must gain mastery over that by giving it to your own master, Jesus. Well, the Jews assembled, verse 2, in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. No one could stand before them, for the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. Now, see the word assembled there? It's kahal in Hebrew, and it means to gather. It has the idea of gathering for worship or even war, but it has the idea of gathering in a united front. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king, and they wanted to lay hands on those who wanted to lay hands on them. They had been given the right to defend themselves. And so notice they assembled. They were a united front and no one could stand before them. Now I'm going to submit to you that the fact that no one could stand before them was not that they were so impressive or the way they lined up in their ranks or the weapons that they had. The reason that no one could stand before them was God's hand was upon them. God's favor, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to give you another application. In your battle with uh, Satan and sin and all that this world has, it is better to be united with other believers than not. When you assemble together with other believers, you find strength in numbers. If you are not going to church, if you're being a solo Christian, trying to be a solo Christian, if you're not in fellowship, if you don't have relationships where there's some depth, some study of the word of God, some challenging of one another to go deeper, some level of accountability, somebody who actually knows you and knows a little bit about your life, well, you're not going to make it. You're going to be fighting all alone. And it's, it's good to have brothers and sisters to fight side by side with. And so they assembled together, God's people. You know, God's people, we have to say, are largely divided tonight. Churches are often competing with one another or, you know, 
doing silly things to compromise to the culture. Notice, they, yes, they gathered together, but there was a bigger force, and this is the unseen God in the book of Esther. His name never mentioned once, but no one could stand before the Jews, for the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. What does that mean? How does dread fall on people? And where does it come from? Why is it that the Jewish people at this moment in history had everybody freaked out? Had everybody fearful? What is going on with these people? The dread of them had fallen on the people. If you do a little study, you will find in the book of Joshua that no one could stand before Israel, before Joshua and Israel, Joshua 21:44 and 23:9. The dread of God's people is mentioned several times in the Old Testament in Exodus 1.12, 15.6, and 22.3. In Deuteronomy 2.25, Moses, recounting what God did for the people of Israel, said, This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under the heavens, who when they hear the report of you shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Write down Deuteronomy 11.25. There shall be no man... Be able to stand before you. The Lord your God shall lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you set foot as he has spoken to you. God did, I believe, God did something supernatural to allow the fear of the Jews, the dread of the Jews to fall on the people of Persia. Now, some of those people may have heard the stories of the Jewish God, right? Right? Uh, maybe they heard about how he parted the Red Sea or how he did this or that or won victories for Israel with just the worship leaders in the front and nobody even really fighting and confusing foreign armies you know, when they were largely outnumbered and so forth. But I think you have to see, brothers and sisters, that God's hand is on his people. And when God's hand is on you, he will give you favor. He will give you blessing. In fact, you may just freak some people out. Are there some people that you freak out? You're just a little too shiny for them. You come into the room with this whole Jesus thing and they're like, man, no, I don't, no. They need extra sunglasses. They just don't know what to do with you. There's some people that don't even want to Touch the Bible. They think something may happen to them. No, 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 I don't, no, I don't want, I don't want to get it away from me. You can mess with people that way. <laughs> get it away. I had a friend some years ago, and I had been witnessing to him, and I wasn't always the great wit greatest witness, I have to confess. And one time he came into church, finally, and the communion elements were passing by, and he was not a Christian. And there was like a fear and a dread that fell on him. And he just let the communion plate pass him by, which he should have because he was a non-Christian. But you could see like a fear in his eyes over what I would say are the holy things of God. Maybe this resonates with some of you, that there's... You've just experienced this where some people, they just don't know quite what to do with you because the spirit of the living God is in you. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther? 
but his fingerprints are all over it. The famous verse, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, tells us that Mordecai sensed God moving in the darkest of times. This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. The story is filled with satire and seriousness, but it ends with celebration as God turns things around for good as only He can. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. Yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. I had a friend some years ago, and I had been witnessing to him, and I wasn't always the great wit- greatest witness, I have to confess. And one time he came into church, finally, and the communion elements were passing by, and he was not a Christian. And there was like a fear and a dread that fell on him, and he just let the communion plate pass him by, which he should have because he was a non-Christian, but you could see like a fear in his eyes over what I would say are the holy things of God. Maybe this resonates with some of you, that there's... You've just experienced this where some people, they just don't know quite what to do with you because the spirit of the living God is in you. Well, even all the princes of the provinces, three, the satraps, the governors, those who were doing the king's business, all the big wigs of Persia, assisted the Jews because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house And his fame spread throughout all the provinces for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. I believe that not only can God do this for a country, but he can do this for an individual. He can have his hand so on your life. I have gone into some places, brothers and sisters, by myself as a pastor, where I was like, I am going into the lion's den. That's how it felt. And there there were times when, you know, Boldness wasn't the first thing that came to mind. I didn't feel as bold as a lion, and I had to just cry out to God. Many memorial services I was called off to do, and you know, there I am in a cemetery. I don't, I don't know anybody there, and I've been called to preach the gospel. And you're like, oh, Lord, are you sure you got the right guy? <laughs> Could I just mix in with the crowd and say, yeah, I don't think the preacher showed up today. I don't know, I don't know where he is, right? But then the Lord says, no, no, I've called you. And I've already prepared this moment in time. And I've already prepared these people's hearts. And I've called you. So preach my word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Nobody could, people were freaked out by Mordecai, the Jewish people, all of it. What a change has happened in Mordecai's life. We're first introduced to, uh, to him in chapter 2, and he's introduced as a man who ended up in Persia because of the captivity of his, you know, 
his ancestors. He's, he's a captive in a foreign land. He's, he sits at the king's gate, and now he's the number two leader in the Persian Empire. That is only God. Only God can do that. And thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying. They did what they pleased to those who hated them. Now the day has come. And what's implicit in verse 5 is that the Jews had assembled, they prepared themselves to defend themselves, their enemies came, and they took up the sword. And notice, the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying. They did what they pleased to those who hated them. Now that phrase, they did what they pleased, I think is kind of like what we would say, they had their way with them. Or we would say, for those of you who are sports fans, if a team has their way with another team, if they're just toying with an opponent, if they could do anything against this other team, if, if they could run any play in basketball, score at will, that's what the language seems to be. It seems to be that any of their enemies that came at them, the Jews just had the power and the favor of God, and, and sadly, people died, but it's what happens in war. It's those who hated them. End of verse 5. They did what they pleased to those who hated them. Now, think for a moment. Who in Persia would still want to kill the Jews after knowing that Mordecai was number two, knowing what had happened to Haman, knowing that a counter-edict had been signed by the signet ring of the king? Why? Who's left to want to do something against the Jewish people? This tells you how deep the hate ran. How deep the hatred for the Jews was. It's been implied in earlier studies, but now we can see it. There were people who were just waiting for the day that they could have some decree to take out their hatred against the Jews. What is going on there? Why do people today hate the Jewish people? Why is there so much anti-Semitism why, in our own land, people are still making comments in this direction. People in places of power as well. It's a bit frightening. Well, the Jews, in a defensive posture, and that's the way we have to see it, they took up the sword, and they were dominant. In Susa, the capital, six, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, just to show you how widespread. This is just the capital city the battle went. By the way, there's never a mention anywhere in the text that Israel suffered any casualties. I don't know for sure, but there's no mention. They killed 500 men, and here's a list of names that Pastor Michael will do his best with. And Parshantatha, dolphin, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I was going to make a dolphin noise here, but I'm not going to do it. Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalia, Aradatha, Parmashta, Arasai, Aradai, and Vaizatha. The ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Jews' enemy, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now, they killed 500 men, notice, in the capital city. And then these are the ten names of the sons of Haman. All of his sons also were killed. 
The sons that remember he was boasting about a few chapters ago, he had to remind his wife how many sons they had. <laughs> yeah, and I got this going on, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm high up in the government, and Esther only invites me and the king to dinner, and I got this, and I got that. But that Jew, Mordecai, won't bow before me. None of it means anything without that. Well, now his ten sons pay the price, and they go down, and they are killed. Why are these people fighting against Israel? Why did they continue? I think that there are spiritual origins that we need to see behind the whole scene. The dread of the Jews and Mordecai was from God. The hatred of the Jews was ultimately from Satan. And remember, I reminded you throughout history, from Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, to the Medo-Persian Empire, to segments of the Grecian Empire, to Rome, going back up now past the time of Jesus into history, even from segments of the church, there has been a hatred toward the Jewish people. And now, even in our own day, more and more comments coming in that direction. What is at the core of this? Well, the names of Haman's sons, says one writer, reinforce the author's message that this is a holy war. They are special uh, interest because they may be what's called Deva names of ancient Persia. Let me explain. Deva or Daiva names were once used of the gods in early Iranian and Hindu writings, but later became associated with demonic powers in Eastern religions. If the names of Haman's sons do reflect this origin, the original readers would have probably recognized them as such. The author lists the names of Haman's sons possibly uh, to the allegiance of Haman and his family to the demonic powers of darkness and evil, and therefore they are properly casualties of holy war. According to Yamauchi, uh, one who wrote on Persia and the Bible, some of the names have been found among some of the extant texts discovered at a place called Persepolis, which is in this area. Here's the interesting reason why they may have been listed. Because in some way, his son's names are associated with demonic powers or false gods. Do you see, brothers and sisters, that there's a battle behind the battle? There's a spiritual war behind the war. There are things that fuel hatred of God and anti-Semitism and hatred of the church and the Bible that are not just human in origin. In fact, Paul says we don't even wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Do you know that I don't think that you can even explain world history without an understanding of what the Bible says is the battle behind the battle. If I were to set aside my Bible for the next half an hour and just tell you about the world history that unfolds from Egypt to Assyria to Babylon to Medo-Persia and so forth, you would see what happens in world history and how the Bible is just really confirmed in it. 
Well, friends, brothers and sisters, this is one of the many reasons why I encourage you to study the Bible, because the Bible is God's Word. And when you look at the Bible, it will help you to understand world history. You see, it really shows that there's a real battle behind the battles in world history. There's a spiritual dimension to what we see in the physical realm. And so when we get into the Word of God, we can see clearly what's going on behind the scenes. Well, today is the National Day of Prayer, and if we're not careful and we don't come to God for everything, the history of our nation can become dark, just like all other nations that move away from God, including Israel. The theme this year is love one another. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. But we need his help. We need his eyes, his heart, his spirit. So let's come and pray together, and let's make sure we're seeking him to help us to love one another. Now, if you would like to pray, but you're not quite sure what to pray about specifically, we have suggestions for you on the homepage at walkintruth.com. Check it out today. Well, friend, we do have many of the teachings of the entire book of Esther on a flash drive, and we'd like to send it to you as a thank you when you give a $30 or more donation to the ministry of Walk in Truth. We really deeply appreciate your support of our ministry to get the truth of the gospel to everyone who listens. We want to get it out there for people to come to know the goodness of our Lord. Now, you can mail in your donation or you can give online. You can get all the information when you go to walkintruth.com. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance. Come back tomorrow to hear part three of Esther chapter nine to learn more about the divine reversal, the Jews first faced death and now find favor in the gracious hand of God. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.